Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you're coaching the team, the reason you're coaching the team almost certainly is that you know a lot more about the sport than they do, almost certainly. And the problem with that is because you know a lot more, when you tell them the eight things to do, that's actually pretty easy for you to think about because you already know so much, but they actually don't know as much as you do. So putting yourself in the mental shoes of the person who doesn't know very much is incredibly difficult. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Andrew Watson, president and founder of Translate the Brain. Focusing on getting kids or even adults to concentrate, we're going to cut to the root on how you gain and keep someone's attention. Andrew, are you ready for the knife? I certainly hope I'm ready. Okay. Where do we go wrong trying to keep people's attention? So let me back up one step before I answer that important question and sort of give a little background about how I think about the question you've asked. My particular interest is looking at psychology research and neuroscience research and how do those things help teachers teach better. And of course, coaching is a kind of teaching, so we're all in the we're all in the same field together. And I think one of the core things that that goes wrong when we're in this field is that it turns into a to-do list that people will say, well, here are the seven things. And if you do these seven things, you're good. So the motto that you've probably heard me say, Dan, is don't just do this thing, instead think this way. So when I talk about how to help people pay attention, I actually can't turn it into a to-do list. I can't say follow the seven steps. And anybody who does is misleading you. So don't trust that person. Okay, so well, that, to sounds, talk about, that, that sounds a bit scary for me because uh, everyone's going to be listening and say, well, well, what the hell am I going to do if, they, if, I, if it's not about action? The reason I say what I say, and your point is a good one, is the context in which people want others to concentrate is very, very different. So I'm a high school English teacher at a boarding school in Windsor, Connecticut. And what concentration looks like, what attention looks like in that setting is going to be very different from a second grade classroom in Japan. It's going to be very different from a Montessori classroom in Reykjavik. It's going to be very different in a rugby practice that where it is we want people to pay attention is different. And therefore, the thing that I very specifically do in my classroom is great in my classroom, but it might not actually help you. So I honestly, Dan, I'd love to tell you what to do. That would that would bring me great joy if I could say, Dan, do this. So, so, so would I. <laughs> However, I just think that's an unrealistic representation of how we think about the relationship between research and practice. That I really think the best we can do is say research says this. Now, you as the coach, you say, hmm, well, if I start thinking that way about what I'm doing, I'm going to do this thing instead. Right. Uh, I'd like to be more specific, but I think it's unrealistic and untrue uh, when people try and do that. So we go wrong by starting with a checklist. We should approach it by understanding why they aren't keep uh, not holding why they don't have the attention that we want 
So A, you said that really splendidly. So yes, the first thing we do wrong is we we think of a checklist. The second thing we do wrong, and here's the shocker when I talk with people about attention, is we grew up thinking attention was a thing. And what we want is for people to give us their attention or to pay attention. Here they have the thing, which is called attention, and we would like them to give that to us. And the problem with that, and here psychology research and neuroscience research really agree, is attention isn't really a thing. Attention is a behavior that, that children do, that all of us do, when three other mental processes are happening correctly. So if the three mental processes are happening, they do something that looks like attention. But if you're not paying attention and I say, oh, come on, Dan, pay attention. I just told you to do three things, but I didn't tell you which one you aren't doing. And I didn't tell you how to do it. So if I stop thinking of attention as one thing that the students pay, and instead the behavioral result of three distinct processes, and I work on the three processes, then they'll get to attention, even though I never talked to them about attention. Okay, so I'm sure we're going to get onto those three. Do we need all three to be working effectively at the same time? Can we let one go? Uh, you definitely need all three to be working to get to the behavior that we call paying attention. Right. Okay, so let us delve into the three. Great. Please. So um, I'll just start with the list and then we can sort of go back and work our way through each one. So the three are the first is called alertness and the second is called orienting, not orientation, orienting. And the third, rather unhelpfully, is called executive attention. So if the child's alertness is at the right level and if they're orienting to the correct stimuli in the environment and if their executive attention functions are working correctly, what we're going to look at is a child who is paying attention. Okay. So um alertness i mean i think we can probably guess that means that you um in you you're the right energy levels that's exactly the right way to think of it and an another easy way to think of it is there are, there are exactly two alertness problems the first alertness problem i'm a high school teacher so the alertness problem i see is that there is not enough alertness my students are always tired they're always always tired that's not an attention problem it's an alertness problem the flip side of that is the too much energy level and that's you know third grade teachers have to deal with that al alertness problem there's too much alertness but again those are alertness problems not attention problems and i have to solve them now. Right. So uh, the, the first, well, not the first thing we do, but probably the first thing we're doing is uh, getting them to the to the right state. And uh, you know, depending on where you are, you will be having to either g them up in some way or to calm them down in some way. Now, obviously, we can't tell. It's the worst thing you can say to one who's somebody is calm down. That's probably likely to get you a swipe backwards. Um, what is, is there any sort of things that um, you use in your classroom setting which just sort of help them either wake up a bit? Uh, slow down a bit and then maybe we can um, adjust them for our scenarios. Sure. So it's funny, I've been in preparation for this, I've been trying to think about a specific example that would apply to sports world. So I'm going to imagine, let's say a team has just won a championship. So at the end of that, you want to have a meeting and you get everybody together and talk to them about how great they are. So the truth is, they're so ramped up about the fact they just won the championship, their alertness level is through the roof. They're running around, they're screaming, they're hugging, they're crying, they're like, they're doing the thing. So my own view is it's actually probably entirely useless to have any sort of substantive conversation with them right now where you want them to pay attention because their alertness level is just not going to permit it it's just not going to happen so now, can i can i just stop you there andrew i think a lot Please. of coaches will be listen, listening and thinking 
why the hell do I ever speak to my players straight after the game? Because they're not going to be paying attention because they're probably going to be either in I'm shattered or I'm euphoric from what I've achieved. So in essence, we shouldn't say anything to them after the game is <laughs> is a very brief and uh, sweeping conclusion. The asterisk I would put on that is you shouldn't say anything substantive after the game. You um, shouldn't say anything that you want them to remember or focus on. You want to take care of them after the game. If they just yeah. l- had a terrible loss, like you're the coach, step in and and embrace them and make them feel good and pick them up. But I wouldn't give them coaching pointers. I wouldn't say, well, you know, the, the problem was that you were lined up in the wrong formation or whatever. They're not going to remember that. They can't, they can't orient to that. Okay. Um, so that would be my advice. Don't say anything substantive, either if they're shattered or if they're you. Okay. So in your, in your classroom, when your students are tired, and I'm so surprised that they wouldn't be alert when they walk into your classroom. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> What, what sort of things do you sort of uh, use to change that state, if it is indeed a state? Uh, sure, that's an easy way to think of it, a useful way to think of it. So two go-tos, and I think one of these fits very easily in sports world and the other maybe not. So an easy one in my world is is movement. If my students are falling asleep, it's really easy. I just say, okay, I need people writing on the board. You, 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 go write your answers on the board. So it's actually really hard to fall asleep while you're standing up. It's, it's possible, but it's hard. Mm. So if I just build into the classroom team that my students are standing up and moving around a lot. That's not a great thing to help with the second piece of attention, which we'll get to in a minute. But if the foundational problem is that they're not alert enough to focus, simply having them move, or I can divide them up into groups, you know, have them count off by four, and then they go into the corners of the room and they talk with each other. They don't know that I'm working on their alertness level, but that's what I'm doing. And so can I just uh, add add to that movement thing? So we we will run uh, exercises where they will be moving around, but you can see that their their minds are somewhere else. Is that an alertness thing? I mean, I'm thinking that uh, they arrive, they've had a they've had a a day at school, and uh, they come onto the field or or the training, the training arena at 630. And they are going through the emotions is that is that an alertness problem or is that some is that another problem so what is when you say going through the motions because right now what we're doing is we're sort of diagnosing well is it this kind of problem or this kind of problem or this yeah, yeah. kind of problem so let me ask specifically when you say going through the motions what are they doing or aren't they doing specifically that make you think oh that's an attention problem there? well they're they they aren't doing the exercise correctly even if they're i mean they they may make maybe making mistakes because of the challenge but they may not even be seeming to care about the mistakes or uh be that engaged in the instructions that are going on to maybe move in a different way or uh, change their change the way they're doing things so that sounds to me like the second kind of attention problem so maybe right. this is a good time to switch from the world of alertness to the world of orienting is, is this right. a good okay. yeah yeah well why not why, okay. why not so we we obviously got to think we, i mean we've got to think about some alertness things to uh to improve because that's that's one thing that we've got to address on the three that we need to keep all up all the balls in the air so the second the second one is orienting or orienting correct so orienting the the basic problem dan is at every moment that you're awake there are vastly more stimuli in the environment around you that your brain is able to process so if i ask you right now what color is the floor you can check like the floor is right there it's not hard but until i mention that or if i say how's your neck feeling well you weren't really thinking about how your neck is feeling those stimuli are in the environment you just don't have enough brain and not you none of us has enough brain capacity to be processing all of those stimuli all of the time we process a tiny 
tiny fraction, you know, is it 1%? Is it a hundredth of 1%? It's hard to calculate, but a tiny, tiny fraction. So our students, our players are constantly perceiving something, but the question is, are they perceiving what we want them to perceive? Are they orienting to the stimuli we want them to orient to? So in the example that you just gave, where they seem to be doing the thing, but they're not, they, they don't seem to be getting it just right. It sounds like to me, they're not orienting to the very fine. You're, you're saying, no, I need you to turn your foot out like 75 degrees and 45 is nice, but it's, it's got to be 75. So what's, and I'm making this up. That's okay. We, we like it. I might introduce it myself. Okay. There's a very specific thing that you want them to do, and they aren't getting it right because what they're actually orienting to is the fact that their buddy next to them is teasing them about something that happened in school today, or what yeah. they're orienting to is the fact they're actually a little cold because it's raining right now, or they're orienting to the fact that after practice, they have to study for a test tomorrow, that they're, they're focusing somewhere else. So, so, I, can, so, I, I, did, so I, I can, I know what's going to happen is some people are going to be uh, drifting and drift out of this conversation. So they're going to be listening to this maybe podcast and they'll have gone, um, I need to, because they're in the car, I also need to uh, get get the groceries from this. And then it's, oh, God, I've got to go back in because something's taken them away from what's going on. So that will right. have happened. And people have yes. noticed, noticed that's happened now. So um, if, they're, if they're not orienting, what can we, I know it sounds like a checklist one. <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> so uh, it's a good point. Um, how is it that we can increase orienting, but without doing that in a checklisty kind of way? So the two big categories that I think about are what is it that is disorienting my players? What are the what are the distractions? So in my world, for instance, is there a spider in the room? If there's a spider in the room, they're going to orient to the spider they just are. In in a practice world, is it raining? If it's raining, they're going to orient to that. Is there a fire truck going by? If there's a fire truck going by, they're going to orient to the fire truck. They just are. Is there so, a big sorry, so Andrew, and so you um, one thing which I learned very early on is if there's any wind, then this uh, disorients the the children. This is so. This is why. This is why. And one of our temptations at this moment, Dan, and I think that's a great example, is what you notice is that there's wind and they're not paying attention. And you say, come on, guys, you need to pay attention. But if the problem is the wind, the problem isn't going to go away. You're not going to solve it by telling them to pay attention because they don't have an attention problem. They have an orienting problem. So from my perspective, the solution is move them indoors where there's no wind <laughs> or do something like have them huddle up so they're not so cold or whatever it is but please but mo mo modify in. modify and potentially suggest yourself that okay with this i'm not going to achieve say 80 90 percent i'm going to achieve 50 60 percent so i i can't get frustrated or 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 um or angry okay so so that was uh the, i think you said two things so one is what's disorienting them yeah so i identify the stuff that's making it harder for them to orient and get rid of it in whatever best way you can and this is why i can't give a list the list would be infinite at this point <laughs> the flip side of that is how can you help them orient better to what it is you want them to learn and i would imagine one of the one of the things about coaching that might be a little easier than than teaching is the players are intrinsically interested in the goal. Like not all of my students are really deeply fascinated by Macbeth. 
They're really not. And when they have to write an essay about Macbeth, they might not have bought into the fact that's important. But I'm going to guess pretty much everybody, almost everybody who's out, uh, out practicing with you is bought into the goal that doing this well is important because they want to win. So if well, we, well, can, we think well, we think so. Uh, but uh, you're, you're right. We if we can so we can create goals that that's that certainly helps. OK, so let's move on to executive um, executive attention, which sounds very, very fancy. <laughs> it's very, very fancy. And sadly, it's the most complicated of the bunch. And if, Disappointing you know, to hear. If, if, if I were doing you know a long talk about this, we would devote the most time to it. Mm-hmm. The simplest way to think about it is if you tell your players to do something and they're, the way they think about what you've asked them to do is just bizarre. So... I, I know football better than rugby, so I'll just say, if you say, yeah. okay, today we're going to work on throwing the ball in from the sideline, and the player says, okay, I'll go get the water bottle, and you think, wait, how on earth did I get from <laughs> inbounding the ball to, to, like, I do not understand the thought process that got you from here to here. Yeah, so, um, and, um, and I think we we all recognize that's happened. We ask a question, and they, they come with, back with something which is uh, completely away from the language or the, the game that we're, we're playing. So they might say, we might say, how would you improve the game? And see, offer us ice cream at the end of the game, which is completely away from where you want to go. So just because obviously I need a checklist, despite the fact that you say I shouldn't, (laughs) I'm going to try to force you to give me a thought how I'm going to do that. I've got one or two maybe formulating in my mind, but what can I do here? Or what would you do in your classroom? So let me, let me start with an example. And again, I'm speculating, but here again, I was thinking, so what would this look like in athletic practice world? So the team plays the first half and we all huddle up at the half and I say, okay, here are the things we need to fix in the second half. And I give them a list of eight or 10 things I want them to think about in the second half. And then they go and nothing changes. Like they clearly did not mentally process what I told them to do. Nothing got any better. They continue to make the same mistakes. So the problem is we have a very limited, and I'm not joking here. This is just literally true. Our cognitive capacity to absorb new information is really relatively small. It depends on how much we already know, but the less that we start knowing, the harder it is for us to take new information in. So honestly, eight or 10 things, if I say to my team here, the eight things I need you to think about, they can't think about eight things. It's the cognitive demand is too high. They just can't. So either pick the two or three most important and say, okay, team, these are the thing, like here are the two or the three. Or if you can break it up this way, take this group of players over here and say, I want you to focus on this and take this group of players over here and say, I want you to focus on this and over here and I want you to focus on this. And that way you get all eight into the mix. Yeah. But and I, I, that is- absolutely shouts out to lots of coaches. And I think we've all, any coaches been there, they're excited <laughs> themselves. They've, they've, they've done that and made made that mistake before. So uh, so that's the halftime team talk and that, that makes big sense. But let's say you're at training or at the start of a class and you want to keep them just in a sense on track um you've, you've got to be um have a much uh, much clearer or simpler objectives goals outlines for what you're going to do is is that is that where you're going with that yes and what i'll add to that is this if you're coaching the team the reason you're coaching the team almost certainly is that you know a lot more about the sport than they do almost certainly And the problem with that is because you know a lot more, when you tell them the eight things to do, that's actually pretty easy for you to think about because you already know so much, but they actually don't know as much as you do. So putting yourself in the mental shoes of the person who doesn't know very much is incredibly difficult. Uh, And in my field, that's called the curse of knowledge. (laughs) The curse of knowledge is because when I'm teaching Macbeth, I know a lot about Macbeth. So it's easy for me to read the scene and ask a question 
about how how does the how does Banquo's speech echo Act One, Scene One? And to me, the answer is perfectly obvious. Banquo is quoting Act One, Scene One, and to them. They're not 100% sure who Banquo is, and they have no idea what happened in Act 1, Scene 1. So the knowledge that I have makes it harder for me to teach, not easier, unless I concentrate really hard and say, okay, what is it that is easy for me that's hard for them? And really meeting the players where they are at that at their lack of knowledge and planning le- uh, planning practices around their lack of knowledge and building very discrete skills and small steps, that's what will prevent the cognitive overload so you don't get to that place. They offer to bring the water bottle, even though the water bottle has nothing to do with what you just asked. I like that. The, the, men- the mental shoes um, and um, the, the idea of uh, little 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 steps as well with the shoes so we're building a little uh, nice analogy uh, andrew that's been that's been brilliant i'm going to stop there so andrew is an experienced english teacher if we didn't know already with all the macbeth quotes i was trying to think of the two macbeth quotes <laughs> i know and former dean of faculty as it's out out damn spot he's in demand <laughs> what a useless thing to remember he's in demand conference speaker traveling in the world um and he's also the author of three books learning begins learning grows and the goldie locks math philosophy is the more experienced uh, sorry the more teachers and coaches know about the function of the mind and brain the more effective we can help our students learn and improve research informed insights of course must always be shaped by the teacher or coach to fit the specific learning circumstances which we have talked about in some detail there so uh, you can contact him he's uh, on the website translatethebrain.com he's on twitter at andrew watson TTB, which I'm assuming is stands for Translate the Brain. Blog is learningandthebrain.com forward slash blog. And we're going to finish with some quick fire questions. So, Andrew, how old are you? I'm 57. Uh, what coaching book or teaching book is by your bedside? I'm reading a book right now by Annie Murphy Paul called The Extended Mind. What's that about? The idea is we tend to think of the mind as this thing. Uh, the mind is inside your head. And if you stay very still and think very hard, your mind will work well inside your head. And she's looking at research that suggests if we start thinking about how we experience bodily sensation, or how it is that we use gesture to improve learning, sort of thinking of the mind as a bigger thing than just this little space uh, trapped inside your, your still skull. Is it an easy read? It's written for a general reader. It's got a lot of research behind it, and it's covering a lot of ground. So <laughs> you have, it, it you depends haven't on through it. the spirit, spirit you're going to it with. All right. You haven't went through it in a couple of nights. Then. No. No. Okay. I'm reading all the footnotes, so that slows down. All right. Okay. What coach or teacher are you loving at the moment? Oh, gosh. So because of what I do, I visit schools a lot, and I, I get to see people teach a lot. So I, I don't have a specific teacher. What I can say is is going from classroom to classroom to classroom and school to school and honestly country to country and saying that's really different from what I've seen other people do and gosh I, I never would have thought of it and I'm not sure I could do it but that's working incredibly well I'm just constantly amazed and inspired and a little what's the word like there are things I see that I don't think I could ever do but I'm so excited that somebody else has figured out how to do that so I don't have a specific answer I just love what I, I, I do because I get to see so much good teaching oh, that's made me reflect that uh, it's good to look at someone doing something and think excited that they're doing I could never do that and there's there's plenty of things on on that list so which team or sport or subject would you love to coach at the moment outside English so I really enjoyed school I'm one of those odd people school was fun for me and I did 
didn't go very far in math, but I enjoyed math and I especially loved geometry. There was something I took geometry, I think in 10th grade, and it was totally fun. So a part of me has always wanted to be a geometry teacher because the, the, the conceptual world it inhabits is so different from English teaching and theater teaching, which is my other, my other piece. The chance to think about teaching and learning in such a different subject would be a fascinating, terrifying challenge. So, um, maybe answered by question two, but who has inspired you most? Oh, wow. The American musical theater composer, Stephen Sondheim. All right. We haven't had his name pop up. He is able to think his way. It's, it's funny. I'd never made this connection until you've just asked right now. He is a person and he's able to imagine himself into so many other different heads and to articulate such wildly different experiences so beautifully and tragically and painfully and horribly. There's there's an openness to human experience there, which I just admire deeply. What would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? <laughs> I was a very dutiful, diligent, well-behaved child, and I stayed on the path. Everything I did was on the path. And it took me until I was 23. And when I was 23, I said, wait a minute, this is stupid. I should get off the path. So at 23, I went and I did cool, fun, interesting, different, off-the-path things. And that was really good for me. So I, I would have told my 20-year-old self, hurry up, don't wait three more years, get off the path now. That's <laughs> right. what I would. Andrew, I uh, really enjoyed being on the path with you, whichever path we were on. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a, a great conversation. Appreciate your inviting me in and having a good sparring partner today. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks.